You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. It's terrific to be able to share the ministry of the word with you this morning. As we come to this time now, let us pray. Our Heavenly Lord, open our minds so we can better have a mind that is shaped according to the pattern of Christ, one that is shaped according to the gospel, that is guarded in his goodness, that cultivates beauty and seeks the things that glorify God and enjoy him forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm very happy that um, uh, Adam and the team of St. Barthes' chosen to do a series on being human because this is now like one of the one of the the big the big things uh what does it mean to be a human being you know when we've got you know debates and discussions about what is identity you've got artificial intelligence even these peculiar science science fiction things like transhumanism uh the topic definitely uh merits deep and wide consideration and what we're exploring today is the idea that human beings uh, are rational, or that they have what we could call the life of the mind. Now, uh, a mind is an interesting thing when you think about it. It can do all sorts of things. It's a, an information processing factory. It's our ability to focus on things. It includes memory storage. It's a to-do list generator. It's a problem solver, relationship management, entertainment suite and creative art studio. Uh, When it comes to the mind, we're talking about the intersection of intelligence, memory, innovation and attention. And and, spending time on the mind is actually big business. I mean, there's a whole industry today called mindfulness, which is kind of like a focused meditation. So, So the mind is actually a big business. Uh, and it's also a big deal in the New Testament. In fact, one of my favourite letters for talking about uh, what Paul, what Saint Paul thinks of the mind is not just Philippians, which we'll get into, but it's in Paul's letter to Philemon. In verse six of uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, this is where it's talking. He's trying to reconcile Philemon with the absconded slave uh, Onesimus, and Paul says, "I pray that your partnership with us in the faith." may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Now, it's very interesting in in this uh, epistle that Paul doesn't just tell Philemon what to think or what to do. Uh, He kind of gives a few implicit hints what he would like to see happen, but he wants Philemon to discern how to think Christianly about his relationship to Onesimus and to the wider church in Colossae. And similarly, when we come to uh, Philippians 4, you may have noticed that it has quite a lot of references to the mind, something that is guarded, something is to be cultivated, and something we're to fill with all sorts of great things. But why does the mind need to be guarded? Why do we need to keep considering things that are true, right, pure, lovely, noble, excellent, and praiseworthy? Uh, Well, the reason we need to guard our minds is, I don't know about your mind, 
But my mind seems to um, act a bit like a toddler. Uh, It can wander around aimlessly. It's easily distracted. It's always asking for chocolate. It does have some behavioural issues. It can start singing for no apparent reason. It gets cranky when it's tired. Has a curious love of animals and crayons. Says things that are both true but grossly inappropriate. uh, And the like. You see, the reason we protect our minds, it's kind of like the seat of who we are and it determines how we act. The mind determines identity, who who you think you are, your sense of self. Behavior, what you should do. Your values, what you think is right and important. And relationships, the way you treat others. So we need to be careful what we set our minds upon. Uh, Someone taught me a long time ago this short little saying, and and it's always stayed with me. Sow a thought and you will reap an act. Sow an act and you will reap a habit. Sow a habit and you will reap a character. Sow a character and you will reap a destiny. And that's because we live out our thoughts. Eventually our thoughts make their ways to our mouth, our hands, our feet. Our mental thoughts become, if you like, incarnated. They put on flesh in how we live. And there's something we can add to that. Uh, It's not just what we think about. There's also a sense in the things that we admire and esteem. You become what you admire. Do you admire violent superheroes? Do you admire politicians known for their corruption? Do you admire certain qualities in other people? Because what you admire in others is what you will inevitably become. What you set your mind on is the path you map out for yourself. That's why the mind must be guarded as much as cultivated. We become what we admire. Our thoughts get spoken. Our ideas become actions. So we should be mindful of our mind. Careful what we think about. Careful what we enjoy. Careful what we fantasize about what we imagine and create. We need to consider our inner mental life something that we may think secret and private, but is in fact laid open to God. Now, I don't just mean avoiding thoughts that are graphic or toxic. I don't mean being so heavenly minded to be of no earthly use. I mean orientating your mind from that which is unwholesome and moving it towards something which is good. A life of the mind that values godliness, goodness, and generates beauty. A life of the mind that is chastened, yet contemplative and creative. A life of the mind that conserves what is good and is curious about what is better. The Christian life of the mind is the attempt to attend a mindset that accords with Christ. Christian mindfulness, if I, can, if I can call it that, means to pursue an interior mental life that thinks on Christ as an inspired by Christ towards things like enjoying literature and movies, the exercise of loving, solving problems, generating plans, making things, shaping things, contemplating things earthly and heavenly because our minds matter and our minds make a world inside us and manufacture a world around us. So what might a mind of Christ look like? Well, I think we have a very good answer in another part of Philippians. That's in the beginning of chapter 2. 
I mean, Paul talks about, if you, if you look along in uh, verses uh, 2 and following, he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. The mind of Christ, we could say, is created by the pursuit of both unity and humility. Or, I mean, a good summary of this, I think, comes from the end of Romans, where Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind you may with one voice, may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need a mind for unity. And then if you read through much of the New Testament, I mean, there are, there are lots of debates going on about food and, and fellowship and all sorts of things. Read 1 Corinthians or Galatians or Acts 15. Uh, and even today, you'll find many different places where Christians will have different ideas on various things. Now, diversity, I think, is actually good. Disunity is not. Diversity, I mean, even diversity of thought, diversity of opinion is good uh, because a single body needs many different parts. Diversity is good because varieties of opinion lead to better discussions and better opinions. Diversity is good because Christians are not meant to be clones. We are individuals, each with our own rich array of experience, talent, wisdom, and insights that build up the body. Diversity of people, like diversity of diet, brings nutrition to the body of Christ. And trust me, you may like blueberry pancakes, but on about day 12 of your blueberry pancake diet, you'll be craving some broccoli, uh, let me tell you. And that's why we need people from all walks of life, of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, maybe denominational experience, sharing their, their life, their wisdom, what they've learned from God, from reading scripture. But disunity is bad if it means ripping apart uh, what others have brought together, because it distracts and destroys our mission. It means we're focused on disagreements and we're filled with mutual distrust. What brings unity in diversity and what stops the bleeding from the wounds of disunity is having a single-mindedness. Like Paul says, make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Now, that doesn't mean uniformity. It's if we agree on every single thing. Like I've said, it's, it's unity even with a diversity. It means knowing the differences that matter and the differences that should not matter. It means we know that the things that unify us are infinitely stronger than the things that might move us apart. It means we set our minds on building each other up, not tearing each other down. It means we consider, we plan, we strategize how to pursue the things that make for peace and mutual encouragement. It's not uniformity. It's not a church of clones. It's a mind for making much of what we have together and understanding, contemplating how we're all better off together. That's what Paul means by being of one mind. The second thing that Paul calls for, and this is what's going to lead to that, is having a mind for humility. Now, I've got to be per perfectly honest. Humility is not my strongest point. We had, we had Adam up here talking about all these great books I've written 
And I'll be honest with you, I did kind of enjoy it, you know. I do kind of like introducing myself. It's like, hey, I'm Mike Bird, and uh, I'm kind of a big deal <laughs> in certain places. A big deal in a very small pond. Maybe that's probably the best way <laughs> to put it. Um, but in, in the ancient world, virtue was, uh, humility was not a virtue. Uh, humility was considered servility. Humility was for slaves and inferiors. I mean, you can find great philosophers like Seneca saying, you know, don't go around showboating. But humility was, was not really a virtue. Um, the ancient world was for celebrities, conquerors, honor, power, and glory. And yet Paul can tell the Romans, and, and, and this, we, we, just, we just read this and think, oh, that's normal, but it wasn't normal in the ancient world. Honor one another above yourselves. That was the complete opposite. In the ancient world, the idea was to get more honor, status than everyone else. Whether you're in a, a trade guild or whether you're running the entire empire or the governor of a province or in your street, wherever you are, the idea is to get the most honor and glory for yourself. But Paul says, no, honor one another above yourself. So we need to have a mind for humility. A Christian mind is a humble one. We need to think of others. Think of others before yourself and ahead of yourself. Think of others even as more than yourself. Leonard Bernstein, the uh, famous conductor and composer, was asked, what is the hardest musical instrument to play? And he said, that's easy, second fiddle. <laughs> because everyone wants to be the first fiddle or the number one violinist. But we think of others... We, we show humility by celebrating others, what they've done, their accomplishments, and how they enrich people by their life, faith, and witness. So let, let, let me recap what we've seen thus far. We've seen first that, that we want to have a mind for what matters. And we've got to guard our minds because what you fill your mind with will determine what type of a person you are. And your mind needs to be guarded. In the same way you want to guard a toddler near a, near a swimming pool, you should guard your mind. But your mind can also be cultivated, like a garden where you grow beautiful flowers or, or great vegetables. And you become what you admire. You become what you fantasize about. And secondly, we're called to the mind of Christ, which I think has two parts. It's, it's, a, it's a concern for unity with others, trying to have the same mind, the same concern for each other, and also by the expression of humility. That, I think, is what it means to have the mind of Christ. Now, if you've ever been on the British railway system, you'll be very familiar that at every stop, when people are getting off, what does, what does the voice over the intercom say? It says, mind the gap, yes. Now, I think we need to mind the gap too, in a number of ways. And this is, this is what we'll finish on. This is what I want you to remember. Don't leave gaps in your mind where Christ is supposed to be. When it comes to virtues, values, and vision, Christ should be there. When it comes to identity and ambition, who you think you are, what you want to do with your life, Christ should figure in there too. Learn to think Christianly about yourself and about the world around you. 
Second, mind the gap between your mental life and your lived life. The same person you are between your ears should be the same person you are in your home, in your habits, at work and in the world. You can't have an alternative personality that lives behind your face. But if we do that, if we curate and cultivate a truly Christian life of the mind, then I think both individually and corporately we can attain the mind of Christ. And on that note, I think we'll close. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Lord, we pray uh, that we would learn to think Christianly so we could discern how to be the people of God. We would know ourselves, we would think about ourselves and others with the mind of Christ, that we would have a single-minded unity, a concern for humility, and our minds would be shaped by the pattern, the teaching, and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast from St. Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.